Well, week before Christmas, um, I like what Hosanna asked about, have you picked out, have you done all your Christmas shopping? Amazon's about to drop that thing where it says there are, you know, your gift will not arrive by Christmas day. And then it's IOUs that you write people, right? Or something like that. But we're coming up to the exchange time of gifts. And for some of us in this room, you are going to get the thing that you always wanted. The thing that you've been dreaming about, the thing you circled in the Sears catalog months ago and kept dropping in different places. Do people still do that? I don't know. But uh, it's going to change your life. It's going to change how you commute to work or it's going to change how you groom yourself forever. You're going to be beautiful, more beautiful than you've ever looked before or how you exercise. Be careful with the exercise gifts. You need to make sure you're on the same page with someone if that exercise equipment is something they asked for. Um, It's going to change how we consume our entertainment You know, that item might be just the thing you need. And for others of us, it's going to be just another thing that we add to the collection. Right? It's the, it's the thing that you, it ends up in the junk drawer in the kitchen. It's the doodad. It's the dealy bob. And it's just added to the things that just kind of tend to pile up in our life. Um, we get consumed by consumption as Americans. We get consumed by consumption. It's interesting. We fill our homes with so much stuff to the point that we have to store it in the garage, right? And then our cars can't live in the garage anymore. They have to live on the street. Isn't that funny? Our cars have been displaced. And then our garages get so full that we actually have to go get like a storage facility. And the storage facility industry is massive. It's, it's over $23 billion. Um, I, I was reading a Time Magazine article. It said there are enough storage facility spaces in the United States that every American could go inside one at the same time and be very comfortable. That's a lot of storage facilities that are available for people to store even more junk that they can't keep in their homes and other places. We're just looking for places to keep it all. And so we're, 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 we never have enough room. We never have enough room. And then I have a garage sale to get rid of it or donate it. And then I go out and go to thrift stores and garage sales and buy it all back and, you know, just end up refilling. But we we find that we never have enough room. We never have enough space. And so uh, we left off in our story last week where Mary and Joseph have both heard the announcement from the angel that Mary's going to have a baby. And they, they hear it and they accept it. They say, remember, Mary says, let it be to me as you have said. She accepts what, what, what this word from the angel has been. And so she says, let it be to me as you have said. So this is where our story is going to pick up. And I left my Bible on the front row. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, continuing our story in verse 1. It says this. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. So, word comes from the government, and they're going to be doing the annual census. They don't just send people to your, your door. You actually have to go to your hometown to register from where you're at for the census for the Roman government. So, and because... Joseph was a descendant of King David. He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancestral home. So um, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, who was, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. So they load up the minivan, and they head out to Bethlehem, and um, this is where he's from. They're going to do the census. So while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. 
So when we read this story, because of our cultural background and because of the different ways that the story's been told in the movies we've seen, we get this image of Joseph going around pounding on indoors um, with the, have the neon no vacancy sign blinking in front of them, right? And uh, he's begging, please let us in. And, and, and all the while, Mary's sitting on the donkey doing her Lamaze breathing, you know, and she's like, I am having contractions. And it's like this, this it's imminent, right? It's imminent. And... Um, And finally, they settle on a stable just in time for Jesus to be born. And while this is really engaging and uh, and, and this biblical narrative um, actually reveals a lot more than we actually get on the surface. When we, when we read it as, as, as we kind of receive it in our English language, there's actually more going on in this narrative. Um, first of all, we assume that like she pops off that donkey, they rush her in and she has the baby. We don't know that necessarily. It says while they were there, this could have been something that could have been several days long, several weeks long that they were there for. But it was, she was very close to having this baby indeed. But verse 7 says that Mary laid Jesus in a manger, which is an animal feeding trough, right? And it's usually made out of stone in their day. This was a, a big piece... Uh, chunk of stone that was kind of hollowed out for water to, or for, for, for food to be put in for animals. But uh, she places Jesus in there. It says, because there was no lodging available for them. No lodging. In the ESV version of the Bible, it says there was no room for them in the inn. In the NIV version, it says there was no guest room available for them. So, There's these differing kind of approaches on the translations of the text. And I find this interesting because it actually gives us a window into the places that Mary and Joseph were trying to stay. Uh, The Greek word that Luke uses is kataluma. Kataluma. When he's talking about there was no room for them in the kataluma. Which is not uh, an actual type of commercial inn used for travelers. Um, It's actually best translated as the guest room. The guest room. So... Luke uses this word in a few times in his gospel in his account of Jesus. Um, When he's giving the story of Jesus, he uses the word in, but he uses two different words. When Jesus is getting ready to have the Passover feast with his disciples, he asks, where is the guest room, the kataluma, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He's asking where the guest room is specifically. But he uses a different word, which is pandahian, which is a commercial motel for travelers. When he's telling the story of the Good Samaritan... And the Samaritan finds uh, this man that's been beaten and bloodied, and he takes him to an inn. This is not just a house or somebody's home. This is a a commercial inn. And so he uses this different word, very distinctly different word, for this place where travelers stay when when they're traveling. So, So Luke is careful to make this distinction between the two, but why is this important? You see, Mary and Joseph were looking for lodging in a private residence. The Jews had a, a, a... culture of hospitality. If you go back to the Pentateuch, numerous times, over and over through the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy, it talks about letting the stranger in, because you once were wanderers yourself, you once were foreigners yourself, so you're to let the stranger in. And so there was this culture of hospitality that was really ingrained into the Jewish people. And so so people would go out of their way to accommodate a guest. And of, of further interest, it says that Bethlehem was Joseph's ancestral hometown. He most likely had relatives there. So not only would it be that they were supposed to be hospitable, but he had relatives there that would have a, a, a real uh, commitment and it would necessitate being kind and letting him in. So we don't know all the circumstances of Mary and Joseph um, and their rejection, why they were rejected because of these full guest rooms. It could be because of the reputation that they carried. Word of mouth traveled about the circumstances of Mary's pregnancy. 
It could have been that people had other priorities. There's only so much room in this house. I've got other relatives here. It's crazy right now. And so the, but, but the bottom line is these are people that should have had a room. There's people that should have had a space. Let me put this in your court. If you knew that royalty was coming to your house, maybe, maybe literal royalty, um, like, like it is like someone from England that's royal. I don't know who's left now, but there's people out there that are royal. Um, or, or maybe it's uh, an athlete, your favorite athlete, or an actor, or a musician, or a politician, or a social media personality, or a public figure. All of us can think of someone that we really hold in high esteem. And you might say, oh, I'm not someone that's really smitten by, by you know, a celebrity. That's not me, Pastor Brent. Get out of here. I don't believe it for a minute. We like to think that we're very cool, calm, and collected around people that are famous. I, I, uh, a while back, I saw Francis Chan, who is an author I really admire and pastor. He wrote uh, Crazy Love and things like that. I saw him in the airport in the Philippines, and I was like, <gasps> and I literally got jello le- legs, and I went up and introduced myself, and I could not speak a straight sentence. I couldn't figure myself out. I looked so dumb. So, okay, imagine with me the person you hold in the highest regard, and they say, hey, can I crash at your place tonight? What or who would you kick out of there to make space for them? What or who would you kick out to say, okay, we're going to make some space here. Now, elevate that to the incarnate God. Jesus himself has come to enter human history and he says, I need your place. And, and, and what would you do? Who would you kick out to make that space? But so many people in Bethlehem missed it that day because they were so caught up in their own lives. Think about that. If they only knew who, would be, who they would be entertaining or, or what, what would they be throwing out of their, their homes? You know, here's your bag, here's your toothbrush, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Jesus is on his way. But, but instead, they were, they were so locked in to, to life as it was, it turned out that life would continue as it always was, and they missed it. And this morning, I want to tell you, I don't want you to miss it. I want to invite you to make room for Jesus. To make room for Jesus. But here's the first thing. Making room for Jesus requires being intentional. It doesn't happen on accident. It requires being intentional. If I was to ask you what priorities you should have, I think a lot of us in this room could make a pretty good list of the top priorities we should have. And it would look pretty good, right? You list out the things. I should do this. I should do this. I should be this. I should be that. But there's the priorities that we know we should have, and then there's the priorities we actually live out. There's the priorities we know we should have, and there's the priorities we actually live out. What we live out is the testament of where they really lie, where our priorities really lie, isn't it? What we actually live out. I was, um, I, one of the rare times I was exercising one day, rare, rare times, and this, this, there was a, a lady on the stationary bike in front of me. And I only saw this because she was dead in front of me. On her shoulder was tattooed in very big script, it said, it said, fitness is life. I was like, she is proclaiming her commitment as she's in the gym. She's got her tattoo telling me that fitness is life. And while she was on that stationary bike pedaling, I'm not joking, she was eating an entire Chipotle burrito. I was like, wow. I didn't, I didn't even know what to do with that. Um, 
there's nothing wrong with enjoying Chipotle, but the tattoo kind of created this dissonance, right, with the practice she was living out. And, and, and there's what we proclaim, and there's what we actually live out. You see, living it out requires intentionality. Living it out says, I'm going to actually um, uh, follow through. It's not just lip service. I'm going to live it out. And uh, we don't just wake up one day and say, well, I made room for Jesus, it turns out, I guess. I, he's my priority. Wow. What a great surprise. What a pleasant happenstance. But rather... It's, it comes through intention. There's an author named Miles Monroe, and he said, Our life is the sum total of all the decisions we make every day, and those decisions are determined by our priorities. See, so many people are unconsciously living with the position that is, I hope Jesus is my priority, or I hope Jesus becomes my priority. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be really good. That would be healthy. But you see... There's no such thing as just a neutral mind and hoping something turns out. Our minds are the control centers of our lives. And our thinking patterns become our habits. And our habits then inform our circumstances. This, why, this is why it's imperative that we're intentional about what we think about and what we place as our priorities. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will then be added to you. Jesus is giving a clear directive that helps establish our priorities in life. We, we often see the devil as this uh, very uh, foreboding character with this, this demonic possession. And he's attacking with fiery chariots and, char- chariots and like little, little imps and demons running after us and things like that. But Satan's work is actually much more subtle and sinister than that. You see, Jesus... Um, says, seek me first, but, but rather than being blatant, Satan's, Satan's primary aim is to get you to seek everything else first and then to leave the spiritual stuff for later. Jesus will find a spot later and he'll distract us with the small things, things that aren't necessarily bad, but something that just pulls us off course. You've got other items of urgency. Jesus will find his place, but isn't this more important right now? You see, if we don't consciously set Jesus as our priority, something else will make itself our priority. Uh, the other day, I took a picture with my phone and I got a pop-up notification that said my iCloud storage was full and the photo couldn't be backed up. Has anybody ever gotten one of these on your phone when you're, or you're trying to download a new app or something like that? And then you've got to either buy a bigger memory phone or upgrade your, your uh, backup and all that. Um, so I had to go into my albums and start finding all the unnecessary things to delete, like screenshots I didn't need, memes I had sent my wife, uh, you know, uh, the time I took 12 pictures to try to get the good one of my kids, the 28 pictures of my cat that I don't know why I took. He's so cute when he's sleeping, you know? And so then you're prioritizing. You're trying to find which ones do I keep, which ones do I let go of, and, and you're having to decide what can I live without to make space for what's more important. What can I live, out to, live without to make space for what's more important? You see, making room, though, the thing we need to come to terms with is making room requires removal. Making room requires removal. Instead of asking what I can live without, the bottom line is, church, we need to be asking, what can't I live without? Sometimes we're thinking about, well, what can I eliminate that I just don't need anymore? But we need to establish, what is the one thing I just cannot live without? And that's the first thing I need to hold on to. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. See, the problem, though, is we hear a message like this and we say, yes, yes, I need more of Jesus. Write that down. I will add him to my list. I will add him to what's already there. Mental note, more Jesus. And, and the pro- problem is when Jesus' priorities increase, everything else has to decrease. But we're just trying to add him to the top. But we need to decrease those other things. John the Baptist said, he must increase 
but I must decrease. One of my least favorite sayings, and I apologize for all the coaches out there that have ever said this, is give 110%. Because I'm like, that is literally impossible. That is, I'm no statistician, I'm no, I'm no math guy, but that is not possible. You can only give up to 100%. You cannot give extra. You don't, you don't have the capacity for extra. And, and so I, I hate this phrase. And the truth is we can't just add Jesus as another priority. When we're running at 100%, when we're running with our life all full, and we say, oh, and Jesus too, there's no space to add him. So I coined a phrase while I was writing this message. I'm really proud of it. You can write it down and you can use this with people. I call it priority inflation. Priority inflation. In 2009, Zimbabwe went through a massive inflation skyrocket situation where uh, it went up, the inflation went up 231 million percent in one month, in the month of October in 2009. 231 million percent. In other words, if you had worked really hard your whole life and you had saved a million Zimbabwean dollars, and then that's on Monday, and then Tuesday hits, and that inflation skyrockets, your million dollars is worth 158 bucks. It's because they kept pumping money into the economy, diluting everything until it was worthless. And sometimes we do that with Jesus. We go, oh, we'll just add him to everything else. And then it's just added to the, 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 the massive amount of everything else and it becomes just diluted and worthless. Addition to our life without any subtraction. And Jesus can't be you're just added to what's already there. We cannot just add Jesus to what's already there. So what needs to be taken out of your house to prepare him room then? What needs to be taken out of your house to prepare him room? I'll tell you, whatever it is, you will not be sorry you did it. Many times we're afraid that if we make Jesus our priority, or if we make his priorities our own priorities, uh, we're going to miss out on so much stuff. We're going to miss out on the things. But look back at what Matthew 6 says, where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Is he saying you're going to have everything you want in the world? Is he saying that you're going to have all the, all the stuff? No, but Jesus is promising that if we live for him rather than ourselves and put his priorities first in our lives, then he will give us the things that really do matter as well. The things that really do matter as well. You see, making room for Jesus will always be worth it. It'll always be worth it. You can't ex- experience true joy without the presence of Jesus in your life. We can't do it. If you're needing peace in your life, let me tell you, if you're saying there's, there's missing peace in my life, I will tell you he is the missing peace, as it were. The missing peace is Jesus. Does Jesus have room in your heart? Not just room, but is he at the center? Is he the focal point? This goes back to what we were talking about. It's not what can I live without, it's what can't I live without, and it needs to be Jesus. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of history, and I came across this story. In 1859, there was uh, an artist named Adolf Menzel, and he created a painting entitled Frederick the Great's Address to His Generals Before the Battle of Luthen. It was a long title. But uh, it's depicting a speech before a pivotal battle in the Seven-Year War. And in it, he's got all the generals gathered around. He's got the background painted in, the semicircle. But the main figure, Frederick the Great was left blank. And he worked on this painting for two years and it was never completed with the central character in it. 
But the thing is, this is a picture of many, of many people's lives. Jesus is the most central and important figure, but yet he's left incomplete. He's, he's, he's not the focal point of your life. He's just an addition, or maybe he's completely left out and you've built everything else around it. And that might be you and you feel incomplete. Can I tell you who the missing part is? And that's Jesus. So you might say, Pastor Brent, that's me. I'm missing peace in my life. I'm missing the joy in my life. I'm, those things are lacking. I don't know where to go. Let me tell you, it's only by placing him as the central point in your life. It's not found through uh, things in the Christmas season you do, through watching the right Christmas movie that you've just not seen yet, going Christmas light looking, drinking enough hot apple cider, talking to the right relative. It's only found in and of the person of Jesus. So what is keeping you from making room for Jesus today? It may be that you have heard things about Jesus or you've seen things in people that claim to be his followers and you say, I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know if I can trust that. Or maybe you say, uh, I just don't understand him and there's not enough knowledge there yet. Maybe it's that you've allowed, allowed other clutter and priorities to fill it and there's been no room for Jesus. But let me tell you, as long as we live for ourselves, no matter how full we make our life, you'll find it empty. As long as we live for ourselves, no matter how full we make our life, we'll find it empty. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, it says this, Jesus died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So this morning, I want to give you this opportunity. If we can bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. Jesus died for everyone so that we no longer will live for ourselves, but instead we can be filled with the presence of Jesus who died for us. And there will be no more profound purpose and life that you can experience than when you surrender your life to Jesus. So maybe you've been trying to fill that void in your life with so many things. It could be actual physical things. The clutter of life, it's filling your home, it's filling your spaces, it's cars, it's whatever it might be. And it always leaves you feeling empty. It may be in relationships. It may be in finding purpose in just being a good person through, through uh, a generous acts and things like that. Those are all good things. But let me tell you, they will still leave, leave you empty as long as you do not fill the void in your heart with Jesus. So this Christmas, I want you to invite Jesus in. Make him room today. He's the one you cannot live without. So right now, in this room, if you have never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered that to him, you say, Pastor Brent, that's me. I need to surrender my life to him. Will you raise your hand? I want to pray with you right now. Raise it high. Thank you. Church, let's pray this prayer together. This prayer is not magical. This prayer is a prayer that comes from a heart that says, I am setting aside Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So right now, let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you came to this earth in the form of a child. God took on flesh and lived a perfect life that I couldn't live. And you took my sin and you died for me. But you did not stay dead. You're alive today and you're alive forevermore. So today I give you my heart. 
and I give you my life. In your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Lastly, I want to talk to those of you who have been following Jesus, but you've allowed the clutter to drown out his presence in your life, to drown out the priority of him being the, the, the main thing in your life. And you say, how did I end up here? There was a, an English preacher by the name of George Buttrick who, was, uh, who had moved to America in the early 1900s and was an itinerant preacher moving around. And one day he came upon a farmer who had just retrieved a lost sheep. And he asked him, um, how did your sheep wander away? And the farmer answered, they just nibble themselves lost. They go from one tuft of grass to another until they've lost their way. And I think that's how we often can be. We get so into the details and the minutiae and the moments of life and we're taking care of thing after thing after thing. And then when we look up, we go, wait, where's Jesus? And we've wandered away. So right now, if you're in this room, you say, Pastor Brent, that's me. I need to just recalibrate. I've allowed Jesus to be crowded out bit by bit, piece by piece, and I need to reestablish him as the center of my life. You say, that's me, Pastor Brent. I want you to raise your hand. Be bold in this room. Raise your hand with me. My hand is up. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Right now, church, let's reestablish and reaffirm Christ as the center of our life, that we can't fix it with anything else. We can't uh, pursue it or, or go to self-help enough that would say, Jesus, right now, beyond the, just the moment of motivation, that I would have a heart of discipline that would reestablish you as the Lord of my life. From this day forward, not waiting till New Year's, but starting now. If it's, the, if it's important enough for a New Year's resolution, why not start it now? And so right now, we establish you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior and center of our lives. God, that we would no longer be chasing after the things and taking care of the, 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 the checklist items that just cloud out the vitality of you in our world and you in our life. So right now, Holy Spirit, renew in us the passion for your name. Renew in us the passion that we once had as we served Jesus. we would remember from where we fell that we would not allow lukewarm living to, to take over our hearts but Lord once again reignite the fire within us that says Jesus you are my everything and that we would chase after you wholeheartedly we thank you for it Father in your name we pray Amen Amen. This morning Pastor Melissa is going to come forward and lead us as we respond with our connection cards Pastor Melissa
I ask that you go out today with boldness and in this week share Jesus with all of those around you. Lord, thank you for this season. Thank you for being in our lives. Let us share your love with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go out, church, and we will see you on Christmas Eve.